Well, we're considerably less in number perhaps this morning because close to 75 of our women, our sisters, have been away on the annual retreat. And it reminds me of, my wife is away too, reminds me of the pastor whose wife went away on retreat and he decided to encourage her by doing some household chores. And part of the chores that he decided to do to surprise his wife was to vacuum. So he vacuumed all the carpeted areas in the house, including their bedroom. And when he got to their bedroom, he put the vacuum under their bed and he bumped up against something. He said, that's odd. So he got down and he saw a shoebox. So he pulled the shoebox out and he looked. There were three eggs and $82 in ones. So she came home from the retreat, and he said, hi, honey, how was the retreat? And she said, oh, it was outstanding, good, good time together. And then he said, we have a good marriage, don't we? Oh, yes, yes. And we don't have secrets from each other, right? No, we don't have any secrets. He goes, I found the shoebox. Oh, the shoebox. And he said, what is that, three eggs? and $82 in ones. She goes, oh, well, if you preach a dud of a sermon, I put an egg in that shoebox. He goes, what? She goes, yeah, a dud of a sermon, I put an egg in the shoebox. Wow. He said, I guess after 42 years of preaching, three dud sermons isn't too bad. What's with the $82? Well, when I get a dozen, I sell them. So I vacuumed, and there's no shoebox. Yes. <laughs> As I said, I'm going to take a break from James verse by verse, partially so our sisters on retreat won't miss the series, but also because I want to teach what the Bible has to say about how God views women, so that when you say hello to women in the sanctuary today. You can treat them properly, and the husbands whose wives will come back, that we will greet them and appreciate them as much as we should. The message title is Our Sisters, and I want to say two things. First of all, ladies, those of you who are here present uh, in this hour, I'm glad. I'm so very glad you'll hear this message firsthand. I hope you'll listen to it carefully and pass along maybe some of the salient main points to other sisters who may not be here. Also, I want to remind all of us that every sermon by video format is up on our church's webpage for, for viewing later. And so maybe you could direct the sisters who aren't here to calvarybible.org.bs. But this morning, in the time that remains, I want us to look at six main things which the Bible teaches about how God views women and how we should view women. We're going to do a whirlwind touchdown in the books of Genesis, Galatians, 1 Peter, 1 Timothy, and then our Lord Jesus' own words on the topic. So let's start with Genesis. Let's get out our Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 1, the book of beginnings, the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we're going to see a lead-in to our first point of six points. Genesis 1, verse 27, And God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so the first point in our outlines this morning is our sisters bear God's image. Our sisters, like us men, bear God's image. This, of course, gives men and women great worth. Men and women are equally made in the image of God. And so you say, Pastor Rob, I know I've heard that God has made humans in his image. What is involved in that? What does that mean that humans of all of God's creation are uniquely fashioned in God's image? What does that mean? Well, very quickly, and there's not room in your outlines for these 12 points, but maybe you want to flip over and make these notes. I have 12 things which may not be exhaustive list, but 12 things that it means to be created in God's image, male and female. You ready? Number one, being created in God's image is having three parts, but one of us. There are three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's three parts to each of us, male or female. There's our spirit, there's our soul, and there's our body. There's three parts to every human, but only one human. The Trinity is expressed in the fact that we are three-parted. Number two, having a working conscience is part of what it means to be made in God's image. Knowing right from wrong. Knowing good from evil. Starfish don't understand that. Only human beings know right from wrong, good from evil. Third, having a capacity to have a relationship with God. Being made in God's image is that, means that we have a capacity to have a relationship with God. You remember in Eden, the garden, when it was ideal, before they fell into sin in chapter 3, it says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. God made Adam and Eve that they might have a relationship with him and he might have a relationship with them. Fourth, being made in God's image means we have personality. Personality is intellect, emotion, and will. God has personality. He has intellect. He thinks thoughts. He has emotion. He feels feelings. And he has will. He makes choices to do what's according to his good pleasure. And part of being made in God's image is we too have personality. We have intellect. We have emotion. And we have will. Fifth. Having an ability, at least in some degree, to create. The creator made us in his image so that we, at least in some measure, could create. Your cat doesn't wake up one morning and say, gee, I'll get all those shellfish I collected on Abaco when I was with my owners and I'll make a pretty seashell frame for a mirror. Cats don't do that. Sixth, human beings having the capacity for self-reflection show the image of God. What do I mean by self-reflection? That we ask ourselves the big questions. Is there life after death? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? How do I find significance? My dog is very intelligent. He never asks those kind of questions. Number seven, to be made in God's image is having a desire and an ability to worship God. Again, my dog, he doesn't fold his little paws and give thanks for his kibble before he eats. He doesn't organize other dogs in the neighborhood into a church. 
Humanness means we have a desire and an ability to worship God. Do you realize that every civilized people group that anthropologists have studied and discovered, they have a concept for God and they worship. Number eight, being made in God's image is having a capacity to be resurrected. Just like God the Son, we all are going to be resurrected, either to damnation if we don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, or to heaven if he's our Lord and Savior by faith. Being made in God's image is being glorifiable, if that's a word. Being glorifiable, that ultimately the redeemed will be made to be just like God, according to 1 John 3, verse 2. When we see him, we'll be made to be like him. You'll see him through either the rapture of the church or your physical death. Number 10, being made in the image of God is having the possibility of living with God in his home in heaven. Being made in God's image, number 11, is having the ability, at least to some measure, to be like the Son of God while sojourning here on earth. As the Spirit of God takes full control of the redeemed person, he produces his fruit on the branches of our lives, and that fruit resembles Jesus. That's part of being made in God's image. Twelfth and last, being made in God's image is having the ability, at least in some measure, to rule over, to have dominion over creation. People say, how can you eat meat? Because after the fall, God gave Adam and Eve dominion over creation and they started eating meat, whereas before the fall, they ate only plants. That's no commentary on those of you who are vegetarian or vegan. And so the first point in our outline, that our sisters bear God's image. They have great worth. Number two, Go with me to Genesis 2. We're still in Genesis, so let's go to chapter 2. I want to read verses 18 to 25 because they lead us into our second point this morning. Genesis 2, 18 to 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable. In the Hebrew, that means comparable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable, same Hebrew word, comparable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the Lord Excuse me, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. By the way, God's will for every marriage is, is uh, togetherness, oneness. That means Satan wills for every marriage is aloneness. You marry people who live alone, separate bank accounts, separate vacations, separate parenting styles, separate bank accounts. That's Satan's will, not God's will. God's will for every marriage is oneness. 
Satan's counterfeit will for every marriage is aloneness. Anything you do, husband or wife, that contributes to aloneness with respect to your mate is not of God. Cultivate oneness. So these verses lead us in to the second point in our outlines, which is our sister Eve completed God's creation. Our sister Eve completed God's creation. You know you can search the Bible without avail and you will not find a scriptural record of God creating anything after he created Eve. She rectified the one thing which God saw in all of his creation that was good and perfect. There was one thing God says that was not good and that was the aloneness of Adam. And so Eve, the first woman, was created by God to fix that problem. And in this sense, the creation of the first woman crowned the creation. Ever thought about it that way? Ladies, you are the chandelier of God's creation. Yes, you are. So the second point in our outlines is our sister Eve completed God's creation. Now we turn to Galatians in the New Testament. Galatians 3. Why don't you go there? Galatians chapter 3. And I want to show you verse 28 because Galatians 3.28 leads into the third point in our outline this morning. Galatians 3 and verse 28 says, relative to defending the true gospel, relative to standing up for a salvation by grace through faith in Christ, in Galatians as a whole, we come to 3.28 and Paul under inspiration says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's not a salvation for women and a different salvation for men. There's not a salvation for believing Jews and a different salvation for believing Gentiles. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, which brings us to our third point, which is our sisters share spiritual equality with their brothers. Sister, you who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you share spiritual equality with your brothers in Christ. Both men and women have the same salvation, the same standing, the same justification, the same forgiveness, the same sanctification, the ultimate same glorification. All the blessings of salvation are equally meted out, distributed to believing men and women. On we go to 1 Peter 3. I should say when we come to verse 7 of 1 Peter 3, we come to the context of a believing wife who's laboring under the stress and strain of having married an unbelieving husband. I've heard many stories since I've come to the Bahamas of men that faked being a Christian so they could marry a nice Christian woman, and as soon as they got married, they had no interest in Christ, no interest in the Bible, no interest in coming to church. That's fraudulent. So in the context of 1 Peter 3, 
Encouragement is given to believing born-again wives who labor, struggle under the strain and difficulty and challenge of living with a non-saved husband. I'll commend verses 1 to 6 to you, ladies. Very important if you're in that situation. You need to read 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. Maybe you need to memorize it. When we come to verse 7, the shift is off the believing wife who lives with the unsaved husband and gets squarely on the husband. And it says, you husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow, that's serious. Men, if we do not live with our wives in an understanding manner, granting them heir as a joint heir of salvation, our prayers are hindered. Is that why God's not answering your prayers? Are you not living with your wife in an understanding way? This leads us to our fourth point, which is our sisters are precious. I don't know if you remember years ago that A&W formed not drive-through restaurants before drive-through, drive-up restaurants. You'd pull up into an A&W Angle Park. There'd be a little box there. You'd order your burgers and fries and root beer, and then they would hang a tray on your window that was partially rolled down. With hooks, they put a tray, and they'd bring you your food. I'm old enough to remember that. And A&W root beer was... And as I like it a lot still, it's a very wonderful, high-quality root beer. And they would serve that root beer in a glass root beer mug. And they would put that root beer mug, that glass, heavy, heavy, thick root beer mug in the freezer for who knows how long. But when it came out to your tray on your car, it was filled with root beer and the thing was still frosty. Oh boy, those root beers were wonderful on a hot summer day. This verse is saying that men are A&W root beer mugs. Utilitarian, not easily broken. You knock a A&W root beer mug off the table, it hits your tile floor, it doesn't shatter. It might chip, it might scratch, but basically it's a rough and tumble thing. You know who, what women are? A fine crystal goblet. Beautiful, functional, lovely, delicate. You knock a fine crystal goblet off the table and it hits the floor, it smashes into many pieces. If I had a dollar for every smashed and shattered wife who's come to me over 30 years because her husband treated her as if she was a root beer mug, don't get emotional on me. Get over it. You're always crying. Pull yourself together. You husbands, Likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as, a weak, as with a weaker vessel, 
since she is a woman. I know some women who are stronger than men, but I'm talking, God's talking about at the core with their feelings and their emotions and their capacities to feel other people's pain and their empathy and their sympathy and their kindness and their sharing and their sacrifice. They are more fragile than us and thank God they are. Can you imagine this congregation being filled with a bunch of A&W root beer mugs? And so the fourth point in our outlines is our sisters are precious. Now, Christian brothers, ladies, you can turn off if you want to just step out for a minute in your heads. Christian brothers, we are to treat our Christian sisters with sensitivity, with consideration, and with a good old-fashioned word, chivalry. What is chivalry? I looked it up. Chivalry. Very polite, honest, respectful, thoughtful, and kind behavior, especially by men toward women. Do you treat your wife with chivalry? Do you treat the sisters in the Lord here in the assembly with chivalry? What would that look like? Glad you asked. Holding doors open for sisters. Standing when we meet a sister. Offering a sister an umbrella in the rain. Walking closest to the road so the sister is removed from the dangers and the splashing puddles on the streets. Letting sisters go through the buffet line ahead of you. Don't look at me that way. <laughs> Escorting groups of sisters to their cars when there is no husband and no parking lot security. No sister in Christ should leave this building after dark from a meeting without an escort if she doesn't have a husband. We have to walk our sisters to their cars to protect them. Chivalry. No telling jokes that are at the expense of women. Calling women who know Jesus as Lord and Savior sister as a matter of endearment and respect. Chivalry. Our brothers and our sisters need to react and interact with the brothers seeing the sisters as being precious, as being delicate, as deserving of sensitivity and kindness and brotherly treatment and deference. Yes, our sisters are precious, and we must live with them in understanding ways. Brothers, we must honor our sisters. This is especially true for the sisters who sit in every worship service, Sunday by Sunday, who are not treated in an understanding way at home. I can think of a woman in the, one of the churches I pastored, not this one, her initials M. She was raised by a daddy who was harsh, demanding, uncomplimentary. She never could do anything right. She never could measure up to his standard. She never was told she was pretty. She was never told that she was smart. And so she came to know Jesus as her Savior, and she stepped into a church for the first time. And she found respect. She found dignity. She found encouragement. That's how the family of God is supposed to work. Some sisters are not treated as precious in their own homes. 
So what have we seen so far? We've seen four things. We've seen, number one, our sisters bear the image of God. Number two, our sister Eve completed God's creation. Number three, our sisters share spiritual equality with their brothers. And number four, our sisters are precious. Now let's go on to point five, and I'm going to take point five out of two chapters from Ephesians 5 and 1 Timothy 2. The Ephesians 5 context is marriage. And the 1 Timothy 2 context is an assembly of believers, a local church. Okay, let's see what we're going to see first. In the context of marriage, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, calls husbands to love their wives in a way that is sacrificial, biblical, and purifying. That's how we're called to love our wives, married men. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Verses 25 to 27. Listen, husbands, love your wives just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that, result, he might sanctify her, how? Having cleansed her with what? By the washing of water, what's that mean? With the word. That, another result, verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Wow. Husbands, we are to minister the word of God to our wives regularly. It's like they're getting a spiritual bath. Do that. I'm not talking about opening the Bible and lecturing for 30 minutes. 30 minutes. I'm just saying, hey, let's grab the Bible. And five minutes, take her to the Word. Ten minutes, take her to the Word and pray. And so Ephesians 5 is in the context of marriage, but 1 Timothy 2 is in the context of any local church, including ours. So if you go with me to the pastoral epistle of 1 Timothy chapter 2, Starting at verse 11, let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. You say, oh boy, that's old fashioned. That's really old fashioned. You know, it was really just Paul's opinion. I mean, after all, he said, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Do you think the Spirit of God would move an Apostle Paul along in inspiration from God and let him just write a personal opinion? Paul's personal opinion was congruent with the will of God. And then you say, oh, this is so old-fashioned. You know, women are better educated now, and some women could teach the Bible to men better than men can teach the Bible to women. Maybe so. But to what does God reference this whole orderliness? Creation. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. You know, there's a functional order in the Godhead. They're equal, co-equal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's a functional order Father sent the Son, the Son glorified the Father, the Spirit glorifies Christ. There's a functional order in the Godhead, and there's supposed to be a functional order in the church. That men are to teach men and other women and children the scriptures, and women are not to teach men. You don't like it, take it up with God. 
It's based on creation. You won't see a female pastor in this church. Not New Testament. And so what does this boil down to? We've seen a context of marriage. We've seen a context of the church. Put together, here's what it boils down to. Our sisters, be they married or unmarried or widowed, are to have the scriptures ministered to them by their brothers in Christ who care about them. Our sisters, whether they're married or unmarried or widowed, are to have the scriptures ministered to them by their brothers in Christ. Now, in an effort to simplify that statement, Statement five, well, let's say it this way. Our sisters best know love when their brothers give them the Bible. Do you know why women come to me and so are so dissatisfied and so angry at times that their husbands won't open the Bible? Because they know that it isn't really their job to open their Bible and explain it to their husbands or their children. You want to tell a sister who you happen to be married to is she's your wife? You want to show her the best way to show her love? Then give her the Bible. Take her to the Bible. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to go to teleos before you can do this. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to go to seminary. If you know Christ, you have the author of the Bible, guys, living inside you. So take her to the Bible. Start with any book, John, Philippians, Take her to the Bible. Our sisters best know love when their brothers give them the Bible. All right. So we come to our sixth point. We're almost finished. The sixth point that I want to share with you this morning in this sermon called Our Sisters is comes from the Lord Jesus Christ's own words from the cross as recorded in John chapter 19. And what we're going to see in Jesus' own words from the cross is our sixth point, our sister's welfare is not to be overlooked. Our sister's welfare is not to be overlooked. So if you are moving with me through the scriptures, go to John 19. John 19 is a unique, special, uh, curious, dynamite window into the crucifixion. John 19 lets us know what Jesus said from the cross. John 19 lets us know what Jesus' detractors said about him as he was on the cross. And in John 19, verses 26 and 27, this is what Jesus said. He's dying on the cross. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that was John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Jesus demonstrated chivalry from the cross. Seeing his mom, he said to his disciple John, she's now your mother. And mom, John is now your son. You see, Jesus knew that after his uh, crucifixion and death, after his resurrection from the dead, after 40 days before the ascension, when he went back to his father's right hand, he couldn't care for his mom on earth like he did before all of the final events of his life. 
And so right in the middle of his chaos, right in the middle of the mocking, right in the middle of the humiliation, right in the middle of the torture, Jesus cared for his mom. He was mindful of her welfare. He made a plan for her. And the Lord Jesus' perfect example to us is the welfare of our sisters in Christ not being overlooked. We have two New Testament outworkings of this. Number one, we only have deacons in our churches because certain widows were formerly being neglected in the serving of tables. And so in Acts 6, 1 to 3, they created a whole new office of diaconoi that were servants for the Hellenistic Jewish women, widows. And then, secondly, we are to honor and to help widows. We're getting near the end. Hang in there with me. 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 3. Honor widows, who are widows indeed. And then James 1, verse 27. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God the Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You want to have a valid walk with God? You want Jesus Christ on the throne of your life? Then visit and care for orphans and visit and care for widows. Hurricane Matthew left a lot of our widows in a tough shape. And so we as leaders are trying to get around to see the damages at their homes and try to practically help either through money or through sweat labor because we are to honor widows and we're glad to do it. And so what we have here is the happy situation that Jesus' care for his mother from the cross calls the church to care for widows and other sisters. Don't let our sisters' welfare go overlooked. And so let's review quickly. We've seen six things this morning. Number one, our sisters bear God's image. Number two, our sister Eve completed God's creation. Number three, our sisters share spiritual equality with their brothers. Number four, our sisters are precious. Number five, our sisters best know love when their brothers give them the Bible. And number six, our sisters' welfare is not to be overlooked. Men, when your wife comes home from retreat before Wednesday, I want you to go over this sermon with her, what she learned, and then put it into practice. We ought to be glad when our wives come home from retreat. JD and I are, you can only eat so many bologna sandwiches and canned soup. Not really. Beth fixed this up fine. Husbands, show our appreciation to our sisters in Christ our wives especially, but also all the other sisters in Christ in our assembly, and men who are single or men who are widowed, as the various ministries of the incredible body of Christ roll on, let us see our sisters in the Lord in the right ways, the ways that the scriptures have taught us to see them today. Please pray with me. Oh God, Please make us to be a collection of believers, a collection of believers, where our sisters in Christ are cherished and cared for and fed the word so that they can minister using their own 
spiritual gifts to the glory of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.